What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Nataki Douglas on the episode today. I'm so excited, you guys. This is a special episode. So Nataki is actually a reproductive endocrinologist with modern fertility. Nataki, will you tell us just a little bit about yourself, professional life-wise? Sure. Thanks, Sally. I'm excited to to be with you today. So um, I, uh, as you said, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. Um, I am also uh, chair of the uh, uh, medical advisory board for modern fertility. Um, I did kind of all of my training post medical school and grad school at Columbia University Medical Center in New York. I then uh, did research and saw patients at Columbia from 2009 to um, uh, early 2018. And then in 2018, I uh, left Columbia and started at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School um, in North New Jersey. And that's where I am currently. I joined Modern um, probably uh, in early 2018 um, and have been um, working with the Modern team uh, since then. Okay. Now, how did you get into Modern Fertility? Like, how did, how did that relationship start? Yeah, so it was sort of... Um, you know, sort of fortuitous and also um, just, you know, almost meant to be. So I had worked previously in sort of a research arena looking at one of the fertility hormone tests that modern tests for, and that's called AMH or anti-malarian hormone. And so I had done some research, uh, a very small study, but really trying to understand how women uh, view sort of their fertility if they're interested in learning more and if the AMH test taken by women who have no known fertility issues would be informative and would be useful for women in terms of thinking about their, uh, their life, their you know, social career and you know, sort of personal goals. And so that study I did probably in about, uh, I think it was like 2012, 2013, 2014. And um, in about 2017, uh, the, the woman that I had partnered with to do the study introduced me to Afton. And, you know, we sort of met socially, um, had dinner and just started talking and realized that we had uh, common interests, common goals. And that's how I learned about Modern. And it was, I mean, we really just clicked at that moment and uh, started working together. Okay. Interesting. So could you explain to everybody listening? Because I know I personally didn't know what modern fertility was until I actually had a listener reach out to me and tell me about it. Um, could you just like explain what modern fertility does as a company? Yeah. So modern fertility is unique in that it is uh, the only women's health company really centered on making fertility hormone testing more accessible to women. Uh, we take the same tests that are found in infertility clinics and make them available to women. So mo- women can t- take these tests in the comfort of their home, really for a fraction of the historical cost. 
And, you know, what really drove me to Modern is that our overall goal is to encourage and support women to be more proactive. The, the idea, the whole basis of the company is to put the power of fertility knowledge directly in the hands of women so that women are more informed, they have more informed conversations with doctors and partners and friends. And so it's, you know, it, Modern Fertility has a test, but it's really more than just a test. It's really an experience um, that kind of makes your own personal fertility journey, one that is kind of grounded in a community and continued learning and really tries to, you know, do away with sort of all of this ambiguity that surrounds women's fertility and has a, and be much less reactive in our approach, but much more proactive. Very cool. Now, how, as a reproductive endocrinologist, like is modern fertility, you know, considering this podcast is very miscarriage based? Like, is that something that you would recommend for women going through miscarriage or how could that benefit us women going through reoccurring miscarriage? Yeah. So, I mean, modern fertility, um, you know, there is a panel of hormone tests. I think that in thinking about women who have, you know, gone through a miscarriage, modern can be helpful in doing testing that you may or may not have had. Modern also, you know, is a community that is comprised of thousands of women who are thinking about reproductive health. And one of the topics um, that we do discuss is miscarriage. And so I think that that is a sort of a a place in a space where um, women going through miscarriage can actually find uh, peer-to-peer support um, within the modern community. And, And modern can also be just a great resource in terms of, you know, overall information about reproductive health. Absolutely. Because, like, I know for me, like, I didn't get any real testing done until I've had three losses. Honestly, if I would have known about modern fertility, I probably would have jumped on it after my first loss or even before that. Um, Just because with my case, it kind of ended up being a thyroid thing. And Mm, is is that an answer that I probably could have gotten from modern fertility? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, the hormones that we test are the same. There's a panel of eight hormones. They are the same hormones that are tested, you know, really in an infertility setting. I mean, if you go for a routine gynecologic appointment, you know, you're not tested for these hormones as young women. You know, our, our, our risk factors sort of our risk for having the abnormalities, you know, is minimal. And so there is a lot of um, variability in what a general OBGYN may test for, or, you know, just a primary health care provider, whereas a reproductive endocrinologist definitely would test for, um, you know, almost every single hormone that modern tests for in its panel. So just hearing you say that, you know, four losses and a thyroid condition diagnosed, definitely, that is something, you know, a thyroid condition would have been diagnosed, um, you know, on a modern fertility screen, I should say, maybe not diagnosed, because it, it really is a screen. But having an abnormal result on your, on a modern test, you know, our goal is that you take that result to a doctor and, you know, sort of verify and follow up. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is so cool because like one of the biggest things on this podcast and like the advice that all the women give at the end of their episodes, because I always ask, you know, is there one piece of advice? It's always advocate Mm -hmm. for yourself. And I feel like modern fertility is such like, it's such a way to do that. And that's just so unique and so cool and so modern day. Is that why it's called modern? Yes, it is. I mean, 
You're absolutely right. I mean, modern is modern fertility is one of a kind in that, you know, the goal is not to replace physicians. The goal is not to, you know, take away. The goal is really to to have women be educated, empowered, so that they can advocate for themselves. And you can only advocate if you have sort of the knowledge and the basis with which to do that. Yeah, and there's only so much Google can do. <laughs> well, yes, exactly, exactly. You, you can get lost in Google very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> uh, Nataki, you know, I know you yeah. You have a story yourself that gives you a little bit of what I call street cred in this whole <laughs> miscarriage world and us Lamb Fam gals. Would you mind sharing a little bit of your personal story? Sure. Um so I am one of those women who uh, waited till later in life um, to, uh, you know, try and start a family. Um, I got married right before I turned 37. And, um, you know, sort of shortly after uh, I got married, we conceived. And um, I, I was really, you know, one of those women who was sick throughout the whole pregnancy. Everything, you know, seemed like great. I had all the signs and symptoms. Everything was going really well. And, um I am sort of now out of what I would consider what is most common in that I then had a, an 18 week miscarriage. And so I say out of what's most common is that, you know, miscarriages most typically happen in the first trimester of pregnancy, you know, before uh, 13 weeks from the last menstrual period. Um, and those are what, you know, our early pregnancy losses. And then there are miscarriages that happen in the second trimester between 13 and 20 weeks. And so, for example, like the risk of miscarriage in the first trimester, you know, can go from 10% to 30%, depending on your age. But in the second trimester, it's like 1% to 3% of pregnancies. So mm -hmm. given everything that I know as a reproductive endocrinologist and having trained through OBGYN, I was, you know, pretty confident that my pregnancy was going to go very well because um, I'd made it out of the first trimester. And then sort of all of a sudden... And, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, true, true, and unrelated, but I was feeling particularly sick uh, one day, still in my second trimester, and, um, you know, went for a checkup and was found that the, the baby had no heartbeat. And so I, um, you know, was obviously sort of shocked and couldn't quite understand how this had happened. Um, but... It was one of those, you know, sort of, I, I took it in the stride of, okay, well, I know this happens. It's only one to 3%, you know, it, it, it'll be fine. So, you know, the, I needed a, um, you know, I had to have the, the pregnancy essentially removed from my uterus. I wasn't going to um, go into labor and have a vaginal delivery. So I had a surgical procedure at this time. It was one that required um, general anesthesia and because I was in the second trimester. Mm -hmm. That went completely well. Um, and sort of as I started to try and figure out how this could have possibly happened, um, I kind of went back to think about my personal reproductive or, you know, sort of GYN history. And so I have fibroids and my fibroids are small, but the fibroid that I do have had been at the time in the lining of my uterus. So they were in the cavity and I'd had what I thought was a really simple, uncomplicated procedure. And it is most of the time to remove those fibroids. And I think what happened is I had scar tissue left over from that procedure. And that is what 
um, has sort of caused me to lose the pregnancy in the second trimester. And okay. going back and thinking, you know, I had an ultrasound in the first trimester where the, um, the doctor doing the ultrasound said, oh, there looks like there's a little piece of extra tissue here in your pregnancy. I don't really know what that is, but, you know, I, I'm sure it will be fine. Is it like, is it hard to not like doctor yourself? It most- is impossible for yeah. me to not doctor myself, <laughs> but yeah. I will tell you it's a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, so totally. In, in doctoring myself, I, you know, I will also say that this happened on Valentine's Day in 2008. Oh. And so from that point on, you know, I have not celebrated Valentine's Day until I had a child who needed to celebrate Valentine's Day in their school. <laughs> and that's when yeah. I said, okay, I can now, you know, we'll get Valentine's Day cards and we'll give them to your classmates. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the one thing that I, you know, kind of held on to in remembrance of the miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the doctoring piece probably enabled me to recover a little bit faster because I could put it into the perspective of trying to identify a reason, you know, and fix that reason subsequently. I then had a surgery, you know, to remove scar tissue and was able to move forward and say, okay, listen, I can look at the numbers. Many women go through miscarriages. It's incredibly common. And that, you know, when we can identify a problem, the overall chances of success when we can identify, and even when we can't identify, are actually really high for having a baby. And Mm -hmm. so I think having that knowledge, which I think a lot of women don't have, right? Um, After a miscarriage, you you know, we we suffer it alone. But because I have that doctoring knowledge, it was almost as if I could hang on to that piece. and, you know, sort of put it in a scientific perspective. Yeah, definitely being able to, like, hold on to a little bit more hope having that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Do you definitely. feel like that but, personal experience helped you with your patients in any way? Definitely. I mean, I, I think that that gave me, you know, sort of it, beyond eye-opening, but a real appreciation for you know, what it's like to get pregnant, be incredibly excited about a pregnancy, you know, plan all sorts of things you never thought you would plan before, um, to then, you know, tell everyone, be out of that first trimester, and, you know, really be convinced that everything was going to go well. Mm -hmm. Um, It gave me, you know, even now then post the miscarriage, it, it took a while for me to recover, you know, physically and emotionally. I think I recovered physically, obviously, a lot faster. But then the notion of, you know, in the subsequent pregnancy I had after the miscarriage, just sort of the constant worry that something bad was going to happen. You know, pregnancy was sort of no longer an enjoyable experience. And when I, you know, thinking of that for myself, anytime I see a woman in, you know, sort of consultation for infertility, you know, when they've tried or when they've had losses, when women have had losses and they're coming in to see me as a fertility specialist or even thinking of women who now, you know, more and more frequently are coming in, you know, just in terms of planning and wanting to get an idea of where they are. Um, I, I can't help but think of every new person I meet, you know, put it into the perspective of um, their own personal story and that how mm-hmm. I can relate to that and can, you know, can empathize, can sympathize and you know, don't share my experience, but also I'm very cognizant of, you know, it's, it's really is a roller coaster ride. Yeah. And it's, 
it's awful. You know, it's really awful to have lost a pregnancy and then to, you know, all of the, the pieces that you need to sort of put into place to be ready for the next pregnancy. And then when it happens, how, how difficult that journey really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to have a doctor who's kind of like empathetic to your journey and with you mm-hmm. experiencing that yourself, I feel like that would be something that you would be really great at. Um, I do have a couple of like science questions mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> um, so could you fill us in on like why, like why miscarriage happens and what you see most often? Yeah. So the most common and the most sort of frequent miscarriages are those um, that happen in that first trimester, right before the 13 weeks. And, you know, it's a range 10 to 30%. And that range is large because of, you know, we have a, we are more likely to lose pregnancies as we get older as women. And so, so for example, when you're 25 to 29 years of age, you have a 10% chance of having a first trimester miscarriage. And then that, you know, that risk can increase to about 33% when you're 40 to 44 years. And so that gives the range. And the reason age is so important is that most common cause of first trimester losses are chromosomal abnormalities or genetic abnormalities. And so I would use Down syndrome kind of as one of the most well-known chromosomal abnormalities as an example in that, you know, here it is, you, uh, a pregnancy has been conceived and this, uh, this baby has three copies of chromosome 21 instead of two. So that's not normal. The risk of this for a woman who's 25 is about one in a thousand. And then the risk for Down syndrome in a woman who's 35 is about one in 250. And so you can kind of see that as we get older, there is a risk of these chromosomal abnormalities. There are others other than Down syndrome. But when this happens, that leads to oftentimes a first trimester miscarriage. And so that really is, you know, one of the most common, if not the most common cause. And the reason for, you know, us sort of really historically thinking about women and a woman's age is that the woman's egg and the machinery in the egg play a huge role in making a healthy, normal pregnancy. And our egg quality goes down as we get older. Um, but I will say that, you know, it, it is also int- important to recognize that um, the paternal age is also important. And so more and more data is, um, you know, being uh, generated showing that when the paternal age is o- over 35, this also can increase the risk of um, first trimester miscarriages. Really? That's new to me. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yes. No, no, no. Like it's historically all us, only. All of us women are on this, like, we feel like we're on this, like, ticking time clock. But really, the men are a part of this, too, finally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I would say we're finally recognizing that, right? I mean, yeah. I think that obviously it's, it's been a long time coming. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's really it is, is chromosomes and genetics. And, okay. you know, it, it's almost sort of a... Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, sort of a, a mother nature in that, you know, you don't want a pregnancy to continue for very long if this is not going to lead to a healthy, live-born infant. And so these, yeah. these losses happen early on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that can contribute to the losses um, is sort of variations in the structure of your uterus. And so I mentioned that I have fibroids. And so that's one thing that develops over time. In, um, as, in women as we sort of, you know, are 
post-puberty and beyond. You're, you're typically not really born with fibroids, but there are some, you know, sort of variations in uterine structure that you can be born with um, that are associated with, with miscarriages and can lead to miscarriages. But, okay. you know, the good thing about all of these is, you know, if there, if there is a sort of malformation or a variation of your uterus, most of the time it can be fixed with a minor surgical procedure. The mm-hmm. downside is most of the time you don't know you have it until after you've had um, a miscarriage. Yeah. Now, I know IVF is kind of, mm-hmm. at least for a lot of us women, kind of like the last resort or kind of getting mm-hmm. down to the last resort. When would you recommend IVF? Like at what point? So, you know, I think the reasons for IVF are many. Mm-hmm. Um, reasons for IVF in the setting of having had a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages. So two things that I think about in terms of miscarriages and, and IVF. If we would like to make sure that the pregnancy that gets started is a pregnancy where the, the embryo is chromosomally normal, right, um, then IVF is a really good, um, is really good for that. Because when we do IVF, we can test, you know, embryos and pregnancies, you know, that are conceived and we can determine if this is a, you know, chromosomally normal boy embryo or chromosomally normal girl embryo. And so because chromosomal abnormalities are really common as a cause of, mis- of miscarriage, knowing that you have a normal embryo before, you know, um, getting pregnant is, is really great. And that can drastically reduce the loss of, you know, a subsequent pregnancy. Unfortunately, a lot of miscarriages, especially when women have sort of two, three or four or more miscarriages in a row, are not always due to the chromosomal abnormalities. You know, they're due, and and that's called recurrent pregnancy loss. It's not common, but you know, recurrent pregnancy loss, sort of consecutive pregnancies lost in a row can affect like two to 5% of women. And a lot of the time we can't really identify the cause. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, you know, it, having a normal embryo makes us, you know, sort of confident that we've done the best we can to start a pregnancy that um, is not going to end in a loss because of chromosomes. But the other things that we also really need to check are just sort of baseline hormones. And that gets checked even before IVF when you see the reproductive endocrinologist. So mm-hmm. things like thyroid levels, prolactin, um, making sure that a woman doesn't have diabetes. Um, and if she does, you know, having diabetes well under control. And so the IVF process itself, I think, is part of the management process that I would recommend. But really seeing the endocrinologist and doing sort of a full assessment of, you know, a medical history, a social history, and doing sort of testing to try and identify any um, kind of underlying causes, and then, you know, perhaps IVF. But it's, it's a decision that I make, you know, taking into account sort of every individual. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's, you know, I don't, I don't think there's the right time or a wrong time. Yeah. Or there's a right, you know, um, you know, to, to do IVF in the setting of um, in a woman who's had miscarriages. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I asked the girls on Instagram if they had any questions for you, and I have a couple. Mm. 
Um, okay. So they want to know your thoughts on progesterone supplementation, because I know a lot of us have seen different doctors. Some are all for it. Some are like, it doesn't do anything. What are your thoughts on it? So I will have to agree in that the data on progesterone supplementation, like if you go and look at scientific studies, um, the as to whether or not progesterone supplementation is helpful, the data is completely mixed. Yeah. Meaning that you will find some reports that say it is helpful. You will find some reports that say it is not helpful. The, the key thing for me is that it is not harmful. And yeah. so I think that as, and as reproductive endocrinologists and certainly myself in practice, you know, I have given progesterone even when I can't put my finger on identifying a progesterone-related problem, because we know that progesterone is needed in order for a woman to get pregnant. We also know that progesterone is needed to maintain the pregnancy. So, um, I mean, it's really controversial, right? There's, there's no good consensus as to whether or not um, one should use progesterone. The other problem is a progesterone problem or a progesterone you know, defect in a particular woman is really hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have any good tests. It's the way the hormone is produced and sort of metabolized. And it's, there's no good way to, you know, it, it's not like taking a test for thyroid function where, you know, if you took two, three thyroid function tests and you have a thyroid problem, you know, two out of three or three out of those three tests are going to be abnormal. And then you know what to do. With progesterone, you know, doesn't work that way. And so I happily and frequently give progesterone supplementation. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, that's kind of like what my doctor did too. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, you know, like there's not really much evidence on it, but it's not going right. to harm you either. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, that kind of leads us into the next question, actually. Are there any supplements that could actually be harmful to take when trying to conceive? Because I know a I'm lot sure. of us, I know yeah. a lot of us women are like, like when we go through loss, we change so much about our lifestyles. And like, mm-hmm, oh, maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't be taking this or maybe I shouldn't be taking that. Is I mean, but is there really anything that we should be cutting so, out other than our caffeine intake? <laughs> like, right. I mean, so in terms of supplements, there are, you're right, there, there, after, you know, a loss, I would definitely recommend talking with a doctor, ideally an OBGYN or reproductive endocrinologist, and, you know, sort of reviewing all of the medications and the supplements um, that a woman takes. Mm-hmm. With respect to supplements, you know, it's, I, I, I hedge as a physician because many supplements that we take are, you know, they're not necessarily taken in doses that we would say are kind of like FDA approved. Yeah. Um, but that being said, you know, there are very few supplements that, you know, I know of that are going to, that I can point to and say, no, that's really harmful for getting pregnant. I mean, other than sort of obvious things that are, you know, kind of toxic. Um, but, you know, I, I think that every supplement should be reviewed um, with a physician to determine. And then also thinking about the dose, right? Yeah. In terms of are you, is it the dose that women commonly take, even if it may not be FDA approved? 
is there any you know information that we have that it may be harmful um but again most of these sort of over-the-counter supplements um are are not particularly harmful when taken to get pregnant naturally you know it's a different consideration in the setting of IVF when we are doing procedures you know where we're actually doing a surgical procedure to um you know to harvest eggs and then we start to think of you know um other things like risk of bleeding during the procedure and, and so on okay this one is kind of like my question because it's something that mm-hmm. i researched a lot when i was going through my losses because it's something that my doctor didn't necessarily believe in so i just wanted to get your thoughts on it um the mthfr Mm-hmm. And like taking folic acid versus folate. Is that a thing? <laughs> I know it's something I did. I switched over to folate rather than folic acid, but I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I th- so most of the time, so the, with the MTHFR, again, the data is mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the, there is, you know, no good consensus. There are, um, you know, there's some practitioners who feel that, you know, unless you really can demonstrate that the MTHFR defect is causing a problem in, you know, sort of your metabolism or your processing, and oftentimes that's looking at homocysteine levels, then we think that, you know, the MTHFR is not significant. But that okay. being said, um, most of us will give you know, extra supplementation in the setting of, um, you know, diagnosing uh, an MTHFR mutation, um, especially in women who have had, um, you know, a pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's the, you know, if it's not harmful and we can't say with 100% certainty that, it could not provide some benefit, then we'll go ahead and do it. I mean, there's the, it's the balance between, you know, sort of practicing medicine for which everything has evidence as a basis, right? And practicing mm-hmm. and just giving medications that way, as opposed to um, realizing that, you know, evidence-based medicine actually evolves, you know, things that we didn't do or didn't know five years ago, we know now. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be, you know, that's really my approach to um, MTHR, you know, mutations and MTHR, MTHFR, sorry, deficiency, is that, okay. you know, it, it is not harmful to supplement, even if there's a question as to whether supplementation is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, thank you so much for jumping on and kind of sharing your knowledge and your expertise. Um, just to close this out, I wanted to ask you one more question. When would you say it's appropriate to ask for a referral to an, RB, to an RE from your OBGYN? So I think you should see a reproductive endocrinologist after having two first trimester pregnancy losses or even one second trimester loss. You know, okay. sometimes your general OBGYN will, will be appropriate for your second trimester loss because there's sort of a, a little bit of an overlap between the early pregnancy phase and the later pregnancy phase. So the obstetrician, obstetricians are more familiar with that. But definitely two first trimester losses. And I think it is more than appropriate to... Um, see a reproductive endocrinologist, have a full, you know, history exam, 
blood testing, ultrasound, you know, before trying to get pregnant again, because oftentimes we can, you know, identify something. And then even if we can't, you know, the, the amount of information and sort of the, the knowledge and the experience of the reproductive endocrinologist um, in the setting of pregnancy loss, especially now at this point, would be recurrent pregnancy loss if these losses happen consecutively, um, is greater than, than the general OBGYN. Yeah. And what I found just from like personal experience is like you guys, like reproductive endocrinologists, when I saw mine, you guys just really pinpointed down a little bit like deeper. Like you just dug a little bit deeper into the things that my OBGYN was already doing. Mm -hmm. It just was a little Mm -hmm. bit deeper. And for me, game plans are everything in this world. Like when we're going through pregnancy loss and if that's anything that you can get from your RE, then that's enough in itself is just a game plan. So, yeah, I think that's what it is. I mean, we we see women specifically to evaluate, you know, recurrent pregnancy loss more often than a general OBGYN does. And so that's it. That's exactly it. Like that is one of our areas of focus. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think that's that's the point, you know, that's to go to the specialist. And, and you know, as you said, it's a referral to talk to a specialist to have an evaluation. And most of the time, you know, you will go back to um, your general OBGYN. Yeah. But like you said, you'll, you know, you'll sort of have the satisfaction of a deeper, um, you know, evaluation. And on that note, you know, after my loss, I actually went to Yale to get a second opinion, you know, as to how this could have possibly happened. You know, was there more testing to be done? And, you know, in truth, the, the, um, the, I went to the actually high-risk obstetricians at Yale. They did, you know, sort of more testing than my OBGYN did here. And, you know, nothing was found, but it was sort of a deeper assessment just to make sure um, yeah. we really weren't missing anything. Yeah, knowing that you're doing everything you can. Yep, yep. Awesome. That's well, really thank all you, s- you can do. I know, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story, your personal story, and um, just some education with us. We really appreciate it. You are quite welcome. My pleasure. This is fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.